Galatians chapter 3. No, no surprises here. Galatians 3. We will finish the chapter today. <clears throat> Let's pray. Our Father, many of us, or all of us, have many hats or many weights upon us. Um, we are parents, grandparents, sons and daughters and neighbors and friends. We have obligations, responsibilities, and vocations, and families. We have hobbies, interests, passions, and pursuits. We each have our own personalities and natural inclinations. None of these things, our Lord, is, though they are good and are from you, none of them is our chief identity. And yet we confess that these things are a distraction to us, that the good surpasses the great. And we confess that we do become wrapped up in them so that we become who we perceive ourselves to be. And we confess that the root of these sins is that we do not love you with our whole being. And we ask that in this moment, by your Holy Spirit, you would cause us to focus entirely on you and your word, and that in the long term, each one of us would be identified more and more uh, with Christ and with his bride. That's the identity you've given us in him, and we desire to live in it more and more. So we ask that for your glory and for our joy in Christ, you do these things by your word and by your Holy Spirit this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We will look at 27 through 29 this morning, but we will read uh, from 23 to 29. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Amen. This is God's word. We had to cancel our midweek meeting this week because Abel was sick, but I got to review Ferguson's um, video beforehand. This upcoming one for us is uh, on baptism, and so I'm stealing his question straight from him, but it's a great one, and that is, what does your baptism mean to you? What does your baptism mean to you? And most of us would probably head one or t- of two directions. Either we go straight for the controversial issues, you know, like who are the recipients of baptism, or we our our answer would be past oriented. 
Well, well, that was one of the greatest days of my life. That's the day where I made a public profession of faith in Christ. But notice what I asked. What does your baptism mean to you? Today, right now. And we will see as we go along this morning that baptism has tremendous ongoing significance in the life of a Christian. And chiefly in this context, it informs us of our identity in Christ, who we are in Christ. It reminds us who we've been made to be in Him. And really that serves Paul's argument here because the whole debate is about who is and who isn't righteous and who is and who isn't a son of Abraham. And these people are being told that if you want to be in Abraham, if you want to receive the inheritance of Abraham, you must be circumcised. And Paul's point is that by faith, you are already in Abraham, so you don't need to be circumcised. And you are already justified. You don't need those old identifying markers. And in fact, he reminds them that you already wear the identifying sign of a New Testament believer. You have been baptized. So this is a call to remember who you are, to recall your baptism. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's sons and you are God's sons. The Christian life is often described as a a process of becoming who we are. Um, We really are in Christ adopted into the family of God, but it's a process to learn more and more to rest in the love of the Father. We really are already united to Christ equally, as no, no, no Christian is superior or more united to Christ than another. But it takes time to learn to love one another and to promote peace in the body. Or we really are united to Christ, but it's a process to find Christ to be our all in all, to be everything for us. So the Christian life is a process of becoming who we already are. And our baptism is something that reminds us who we really are in Christ. It reminds us of our identity in Christ and our union with Him. So if we understand who we really are in Christ, that will serve as a kind of force field, if you will, around our doctrine and our practice. And we will finally be able to rest in joy and peace in this life progressively. So I want to begin thinking through this idea, or begin by thinking through this idea of being baptized into Christ. Um, what does that mean? And really we get a taste of what that means here. But we'll begin by looking at that, and then we'll look at three ways that our baptism informs our identity or who we are in Christ. Uh, Martin Luther was famous for having battles with the devil. Uh, he would often use crude remarks against the devil, or he, he's quoted as, or it said that he, he would throw his ink pot across the room at the devil. Um, and he, he's quoted to have said that the only way to drive away the devil is through faith in Christ by saying, I have been baptized. I am a Christian. I have been baptized. I am a Christian. But what is baptism and why did it give confidence? Baptism was instituted as an ordinance for the church at the Great Commission 
uh, where Jesus commands us to baptize disciples in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So one thing, again stealing from Brother Ferguson here, one thing that baptism is, is it's a naming ceremony. We're named into the triune name. Uh, I grew up with the family, the Zellers, and they have 11 children naturally, and they adopted Tubopia. Um, and I don't know what their names were in Africa, but I don't think it was Elias and Micah Zeller. When they were adopted, they were renamed. They received the family name of Zeller. When we've been made members of the family of God, as we have, as we see in verse 26, that in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith, we take on a new family name, uh, the name As Luther said, I am baptized, I am a Christian. And isn't that what Paul's saying in verse 27? For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. I have this coat that I got for free a long time ago. I don't wear it much, it's pretty good in the rain. Uh, But on one side it says Portland Cement, it's Portland Cement. Is in Florence, near where I grew up. On the other side, the name is Lowell. Now, if I wear it, sometimes people make fun of me. Hi, Lowell. Now, I know Lowell, and I'm no Lowell. <laughs> but the name on the jacket is supposed to identify the wearer. When Paul says in baptism, we have put on Christ, there's this image of a garment. You're putting on this garment. You're covering himself with or yourself with this garment, and the, the name on the garment is Christian. In baptism, we're identified with Christ. Which, of course, this identity in Christ has massive impact in not just in the past as an event that's that's sentimental in our hearts, but that has ongoing impact in our lives. Um, we, re- we see this over and over again in the New Testament, uh, besides our present text. Uh, for example, in, in the course of fighting sin, baptism is immense, of immense value. Uh, Romans 6, 4, We were buried therefore with him in baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So our baptism informs how we fight sin. Uh, another example it, it helps us in preserving the unity and, and peace within the body. As Ephesians 4 says that there is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. Also another example from Colossians where they were wrestling with these false ideologies and false religion. And Paul tells them in chapter 2, verse 12, that having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith, and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And that informs their identity and how they um, fight with these various philosophies. You'll notice each of these texts, baptism frames our identity in Christ, and then it has immediate impact on the way we live and think. So in Romans 6, in Christ you have died to sin, and you've been raised to newness of life. So what's the immediate impact there? Become who you are. Put sin to death. Or Ephesians 4, you you are all baptized into the same God 
Therefore, you share a fundamental oneness among yourselves. Therefore, he says, bear with one another in love and be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Or in Colossians 2, in Christ, he says that the fullness of deity and wisdom dwell in Christ. And then, amazingly, he he says, and you have been filled in him. Therefore, basically, don't let these empty worldly philosophies push you around. You've been filled in Him who, in whom all deity dwells. So I, I hope you're getting a, a taste from these texts for the power that your baptism can have on a daily basis. It, it really is a signpost to us that points us over and over again to who we have become in Christ. So that, as, as with Luther, when the accuser comes, we can say, I have been baptized into Christ. I am a Christian. When, when temptation comes, I am baptized. I've been put, my, my old man is dead in Christ. Or when worldly philosophies confront and intimidate us, I am baptized. Or when we're at odds with our brothers and sisters, we are baptized. When rival gospels, as here in Galatians, of works righteousness creep into the church, we are baptized. We know who we are. We don't need all that extra stuff. There's so much more that we could say about what it means to be baptized into Christ and a whole lot more that we could say about what it doesn't mean um, to be baptized into Christ. But for our purposes, I think we can summarize by saying that baptism is a putting on of Christ so that we are identified with Him. And that identity is that we are a people united to Christ by faith. No one can shake us when we're firmly rooted in who we are in Christ. And not the devil, not false doctrine and false teachers, and not, not sin and temptations. If we're fruited, f- firmly rooted in Christ, and who we are in Him. So the first way that our baptism informs our identity in this text is it teaches us that in Christ we are adopted sons and daughters. We are adopted. Um, Our baptism reminds us of who our Father is. Remember, it's a naming ceremony. And our Father shapes our our identity in a million practical ways. And here I'm referring to uh, verse 26. And if we're going to read our Bibles well, we have to enter into the world of grammar a little bit. And in verse 27, he says, For as many of you as were baptized. So for as many. Uh, Conjunctions in the Bible are powerful words. And that word for is telling us two things. It's telling us to look backwards. Something It's referring to something back there in the text. And it's telling me that in verse 27 that the cause, that it's the cause of something or a further explanation of something that's already been said. So let's back up to verse 25. He says, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. 
But I think he's saying our baptism explains our sonship in Christ apart from the guardian. And what does it explain? It explains a couple of things, the second of which will make up our second point. But the first is that baptism stamps us with this family name, the name of God. It, it shows us and places upon us our family name because we've been adopted by the Father. So remember that baptism is a naming ceremony into the triune name, and our family name has a lot to tell us and others about who we are. Um, so the name Cruz, for people who know Cruises, provides a lot of information about me. Um, you could probably assume I'm a hard-headed Dutchman. You would really assume that if you knew the rest of my family. If you didn't know me at all, but you knew the rest of my family, you might be able to guess that I'm somehow involved in vocational ministry. The kinds of food I like, the idioms I use, the bad jokes I tell, are all rooted in my family name and my family history. I can really trace them all, especially bad puns, to my Grandpa Cruz. When we believe we are united to Christ and and we're brought into the family of God, baptism doesn't make us members of the family of God, but it does put that garment around us that says, Christian, I belong to the family of God. It's kind of like the old way of creating last names. Jameson, James's son, Johnson, John's son. In a sense, we could say, We're God's son. Now what does that mean for us? Well, in the context of Galatians, it means we don't have to do a bunch of stuff to earn gold stars from God. We don't need to be circumcised. We don't need to follow the food laws. We we are already sons of God. We can lay aside the burden of trying to earn God's favor. You know, uh, my prayer was really lousy this morning. Am I really even a Christian? I've been reading the Bible some, but only out of a sense of duty. I really feel like God must not like me very much right now. Or God won't hear my prayers because I've been angry and rude with my family. We can lay all of that to rest because Paul says you are sons Already, you are sons of God in Christ. So your baptism preaches to you your adoption. You bear the name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You are God's Son. And also, we have direct communion with our Father. You're no longer under the guardian. John Owen, in his book, Communion with God, which is a great book, I, I'm only a couple chapters in, but it's blowing my mind. I recommend it. In that book, he teaches that the primary way that that the Father communes with the saints is love. So isn't it strange then that Christians have such a struggle to really believe that God loves us? Owen says, many dark and disturbing thoughts arise to hinder our walk with God. Few can rise to the height of the Father's love by faith, so as to rest their souls in his love. 
They live far below it in the troublesome reason, a region of hopes and fears, storms and clouds. Abiding in the Father's love, all is peace and quiet. But how to rise to the height of the Father's love, they do not know. It's hard to believe sometimes that the Father could love a sinner like me. But if you want proof that God loves us apart from our performance, Ephesians 1 says that in love He predestined us to adoption as sons. He loved you before you were even existed. He didn't adopt you because you were lovely and attractive. The Father adopted you because He set His love on you before time began. And because He placed His electing love on you, in love He sent His Son to die for you, and in love He sent the Spirit, the Helper, to accomplish redemption in our hearts. So one way that we see that our baptism informs our identity here and now is that it preaches to us about our adoption. We wear that garment. It frees us from the bondage of performance-based Christianity. And it reminds us, I am in Christ. I am loved by my Father. And no one can take that from me. No one can make me try to earn it. I already have it. A second way that baptism informs our identity is it reminds us um, that in Christ, we are all equal. In Christ, we're all equal. The Judaizers created a sort of system of haves and have-nots. If you have been circumcised, then you're a son of Abraham. If you observe the food laws, then you have righteousness. You, you might claim Christ, but here's another thing to bring you to the next level. But Paul says, you are all, in verse 26, you are all sons of God through faith. Verse 27, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. How many of them are sons of God through faith? The, the ones having been circumcised or all who have faith in Christ? And what is the new covenant sign of our sonship? It's baptism. Now, it struck me this week, this is a quick aside, but if you want a proof text that baptism replaces circumcision, I think this may be the strongest one I've seen. It may not say the word circumcision, but that's definitely what Paul's talking about here. I think it's fair to paraphrase, you, you don't need circumcision because you've been baptized. But the point here is that all of them who have been baptized have put on Christ in a way that's visible and external. And baptism is a great equalizer. Um, each one of us has been given the sign of the new covenant. So we don't need these external markers like, like uh, circumcision or, or food laws. In baptism, we've all been named, we've been named Christian, each and every one of us. That's why Paul says in verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Of course, he's not saying that there's no such thing as a Jew or a Greek or a male or a female. 
Um, it, his point is that culturally defined classes and statuses are irrelevant before Christ and in Christ. The Jew who's been circumcised opens the hymn book standing next to the Gentile equally. Slave and master can stand side by side worshiping God. There's no second-class citizen in the kingdom of heaven. In Christ, all are one. As he says in Ephesians 4, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. So we're not baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and Abraham. Under the Father, the Son, and the upper middle class. We're, we're baptized into the name of the triune God, and each one of us who's been baptized wears that name of Christ on our garment. Of course, our modern church is no stranger to classes and strata. Uh, if, if you speak in tongues, for example, you really have the Spirit. Or if you have dreams and visions, if you hear the voice of God, you really actually commune with the Holy Spirit. Uh, if you know the five points, you actually take the Bible seriously. Our, our modern celebrity culture in, in the church certainly puts some on a higher plane than others. Some doctrines in the church, Wesleyan perfectionism, um, Keswick theology, other branches have this sort of second blessing idea. We, we, we're saved, but we're still waiting for a second blessing. Some have it, some don't. Or, or men and women, for example. Why is it that men get good theological meat while every lady's study seems to be about being a good wife and a good mom? Not that those aren't important topics. So we're not strangers to classes of Christians in the modern church. But Paul says, all who have been baptized have put on Christ. Here's a quote I've used many times, and if you're tired of it, too bad, because I'm going to keep using it. It's one of my favorites, Michael Horton that a church is not a group of friends you've picked, it's a group of brothers and sisters God has picked for you. Every person in the church who professes faith in Christ and received the covenant sign of baptism is my brother and sister. No qualification. It doesn't matter how old or how young, how beautiful or how ugly, how rich or poor, male or female, local foreigner, red, yellow, black, or white. If we want Jesus, he comes with a whole family. When we get him, we, we get a whole messy family right along with him. We should note here that there is something that a brother or sister in Christ can do to change that status. That is, apostatize, embrace unbelief. Because baptism doesn't make us children of God. The status of a true and adopted child of God is firm, it's unmoving, it's fixed, it, it is eternally secure. But people can be baptized, and put on the garment of Christ, and be identified with him and with his people, and be a false confessor. But even a false confessor is still a brother and sister in Christ 
albeit only externally and visibly, until they confess their unbelief or when they, because of unrepentant sin, go through the biblical process of church discipline and are excommunicated from the church. But even then, I would still call them an apostate brother or sister. So baptism connects us with Christ and with his, the people of God, and it removes all claims of superiority. It, it marks us out as members of God's family. And baptism announces to us regularly that, that we are united to the people of God. We, we all share the same last name. We're all united to the same Christ. We all bear the same covenant sign. There, there are no super Christians. There's no second class Christians. We are all one in Christ. Now, the third way that our baptism informs our identity is that in Christ we are all sons of Abraham, he says. In Christ we are all sons of Abraham. Uh, John the Baptist wasn't really a hesitant person to offend people. Uh, he was not afraid to offend the, the Pharisees. And one story I find kind of humorous and a warning at the same time is when the Pharisees come down when he's baptizing in the Jordan and they have this interaction. And he, he says, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Can we earn sonship to Abraham? One of the major questions Paul's been dealing with in, in chapter 3 has been, how do we become heirs of the promise given to Abraham? Do we, do we trust in our lineage like the Pharisees did? Or do we become Jewish proselytes? Or, or do we get circumcised? Or do we observe the law? What do we have to do? And Paul really here makes it very simple. Verse 29, that if you are Christ's, you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. That really kind of wraps up his whole argument and ties it with a bow. It's very simple. If you are Christ, you are Abraham's offspring, the heir according to the promise. If we track the argument through, it goes something like, the promise was about Christ, it was fulfilled in Christ, who was the offspring, singular. He inherited the promise in its final fulfillment. And now, if we are to partake of the promise, we must be united to Christ by faith. And then, if we are Christ by faith, then we are the offspring, plural, of Abraham. And we share in that inheritance. <laughs> So our baptism gives us hope of that inheritance and reminds us that we are indeed Christ's. If we are Christ's, then we are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So the Galatians shouldn't buy what the Judaizers are selling. And neither should we. There's these kind of spiritual snake oil salesmen trying to pitch things to us all the time. And how do salespeople and marketers work? They say, you have this thing absent in your life. Let me fill that hole for you. You need this 
to do this for you. And really, I think at the bottom of Paul's argument, it all comes down to, in Jesus, you have everything you could want or need. You, you don't need all that stuff. These false teachers, it's kind of like when the, the older child tricks the younger one, like, look, the penny's bigger than the dime. But why would we trade the blessing that we have in Christ for this polished curse? As he says in verse 1, that, that is the definition of foolishness. So what does your baptism mean to you today? Well, baptism preaches to us that we, what we are and what we have as people in Christ. Preaches what we are and what we have already when we're united to Christ by faith. Beginning of chapter 3, Christ has been placarded before our eyes as crucified so we would believe and receive all of his benefits. So we already have the promise of the Holy Spirit. We already have a declaration of righteousness, justification. We already have the blessing instead of the curse. We already have life. We have freedom. We have adoption. We have God's people. We have the fullness of Abraham's inheritance and all that means So when the devil and his, his workers start sniffing around, when they start asking cute little questions, they start making accusations and picking at us and injecting doubts here and there, what we do is we announce to them, I have been baptized. I am a Christian. 